Welcome to the All In Gospel Bible Study. Each week, we move chapter by chapter through the Bible towards a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches. All In Gospel is recorded live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, featuring Dr. Sean Dickers. You can support this broadcast by subscribing or donating at anchor.fm slash allingospel or visit the allingospel.com website. Leviticus 14 starts with the word then. That separates this chapter from the last one. There's a new section. We're going to say something new about leprosy. So now in chapter 13, we've identified leprosy is ugly, it's nasty, and it's incurable. But when it happens to be, what happens if someone is cured? So those references I read from the New Testament, here's this moment where somebody gets cured. Then they got to go to chapter 14 and figure out what to do. So then the Lord spoke to Moses, not to Aaron. And he said, the law of the leper for the, the day of his cleansing, he shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leopard, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed, two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. So wait a second. Leprosy can't be cured, but here's what you do when it is cured. This is kind of a cool chapter, isn't it? And this is where those little Levitical priests would be like, how can you cure the incurable? When it happens, <clears throat> there's going to be these really unique elements. Two clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. I want to bring those things together to tell a story, right? And those things, uh, most people see this as directly those elements are a huge image of Jesus Christ, and I'll come back to that. There is a clean and an unclean mindset. Everything you eat is either clean or unclean. Every rash, everything that gets touched, every boil and mark on your skin has to be decided if it's clean or unclean. And then there's this incurable disease and a law of the leper. It's twofold. In verses 1 through 9, you got to determine if there's actually been a healing. We don't want any false healings here, right? Huge process for determining if there is a healing. And this is what Jesus asked the cured lepers to go do. You need to go to the priests and go through that process. You've got to determine that I'm not false. It's significance here because leprosy, even today, is incurable. we got some pills to slow it down, but it's incurable. So, when the Messiah shows up, here's what you do. It's so cool because this is hundreds of years before Jesus. But when it happens, here's what's going to happen. So they would have been blowing the dust off this chapter, pulling it out. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leper. So the clean birds are going to be similar to this atonement thing. And then you got a cleansing process. Verse 5. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. Running water is a very similar word to living water. It means something from a spring or a river. And if you remember from chapter 11, that living water was the only thing that couldn't be corrupted, right? So if, the, if it was a spring or a well and they found a dead body in it, they could just take the dead body out, let the spring cleanse itself. It couldn't be corrupted, right? So you're going to take that living water and you're going to put it in an earthen vessel. The incurable 
will be put into inside an earthen vessel, which was the only vessel that couldn't be cleaned. It had to be broken, right? Remember metal things, bronze things, you could just clean them and keep using them. But an earthen vessel, if it was infected, you had to just break it and throw it away. So you're going to put the uncorruptible inside the corruptible, and you're going to do that. I'm making a point of that because you can see where this is going. You take a heavenly being, a bird that flies in the heavens, and you're going to kill one of them, and you're going to put it into this kind of dead situation, right? All right, this is... And you're going to kill one of them and put it in there. As for the living bird, you're going to take it, the cedar wood, the scarlet, and the hyssop, you're going to dip them and the living bird into the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. You're going to take one of the two birds and you're going to kill it and put its blood in, into this water. So you've got water and blood that flow together. Then you're going to take the living bird and dunk it into the water and you're going to pull it out. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is clean from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and let the living bird loose on the open field. Go be with your birdie friends. So you're going to baptize the bird, right? In an earthen vessel with living water and blood. The dead bird's going to stay dead, and there's going to be a new bird, a new bird of a new life that comes out of the water. John 4:10. There's a woman sitting at a well, and Jesus makes this reference to living water. Right? You know this story. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. When, where do you go to get that living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? <clears throat> So she's sitting by a well that's fed by itself. It's a spring well that Jacob dug. We did that in Genesis. And she's saying, are you greater than this living water? And Jesus answers to her. He teaches her, by the way. Whoever drinks of this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give will become a fountain of water that springs of everlasting life. Jesus makes claims and connections to this living water that are really powerful. So Christ takes on an earthly vessel of humanity. We are jars of clay, right? And these imageries fix. And you've got this blood and water that flow together. Kind of like at the crucifixion. So John 19.34, But one of the soldiers pierced the side with a, with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed together which is a huge medical like indication that he is dead dead when blood and water flow together. But it's also an interesting thing when you put it in light of this ritual, right? Jesus was dead like the first bird. He actually died. And then in John 5, John, 1 John 5, 6, then he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. See how John's making this point? Like, you need to know that Jesus Christ came by water and blood. The only ritual in Leviticus that has those two things like that is this one that we're reading right now. The water and the blood flow together in the earthen vessel. There's an actual death of one bird, and the other bird gets pulled out, sprinkled in the blood, and freed. And there's a new life that flies straight to the heavens. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Jesus is alive. And that's such a powerful image. So now you see the dead risen to life. It's this symbolic ceremony that never happens, right? 
all the way up till Jesus, this ritual does not happen. The Leviticus, the Levites do not have to pull out chapter 14 until Jesus sends them somebody. And they got to do this thing, right? So is the bird getting baptized? I don't know. Um, but the, 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 there is a bird that's delivered to death and risen to life. I guess I would think the bird doesn't like being dunked in the water, right? And when you let it go, it's happy to go free. There are some people that believe that the cross was made out of cedar wood because it resists mold and it's cheap. So even today, if you want to like have something that you can put in your sauna, we tend to put cedar wood because it can take that moisture and that heat um, and it can deal with it and it resists mold, which is exactly what we're talking about in Leviticus. So there's people that believe that crosses in the Roman world would have been made out of cedar so that you can reuse the cross over and over again. And they would hang at the side of the road. Remember Peter got Paul, they started crucifying Christians along the road to Rome. They wanted those crosses to last a long time. And if it rained or whatever, they wanted rain-resistant wood. So there's people that believe, with good reason, that the cross would have been made out of cedar. Then you get the scarlet, which is a symbol of blood. We're going to see that throughout the Old Testament. And then you get hyssop, which is what people believe would have been the brush when the soldiers gave Jesus the vinegar on the cross. It would have been a hyssop branch that they used to get that up to him and up to his mouth. Blood, hyssop, cedar, living water and blood mixing together, and a new life being born out of it and freed to the heavens. All the key elements combined here to tell a story. Verse 7 in Leviticus. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who has been cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. You are free little birdie. Sin will cast us down. Cleansing brings us to the presence of God. By Psalm 51, David totally gets this image. So look at other biblical characters and how they interpret this. David uses all of these elements to talk about sin and the cleansing process that God brings from sin and redemption. Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Uh, there he's referencing chapter 12, right? I was brought forth in iniquity, and, my, and in sin my mother conceived me. So that's chapter 12. Behold, you desire truth in the inner word parts, and in the hidden part you will make me known to wisdom. So chapter 13. There's things that are more than skin deep. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence, just like we were talking about with isolation. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit, and I will teach your transgressors. I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. We are all lepers, and we have no hope, and we have this incurable disease of sin. But God can come and meet us outside the camp, and He can bring the kind of healing that David's talking about. We can be baptized, and we can join humanity again and have this freedom. Verse eight. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent for seven days. So like a newborn baby, you're going to shave off all your hair. There's this image of new birth, new life. You're born again. You come into the camp. That forces the priest to go out to meet him. Um, 
like Romans 5.8, God command, commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God comes to us and miraculously heals the sin. We're cured. You got to think that the Bible studies that the disciples led where they're showing people this had to be amazing because they're doing it with this life of like, Jesus just rose from the dead and he did all these things and they had to be laughing because they would have known the priest that the leopards went to that had to frantically go through and read the instructions. Like, and then, you know, Jebediah went in and had to read all the book and he didn't know what to do. And these moments would have been wide awake and alive for them. And they still can be for today because the way people know Christ is often through our renewed life. And when we come out as free as a bird, right, they see that kind of spirit coming from people that are saved. So immediately after all this, we get into house cleaning, which is very appropriate for the whetstones. Okay. Um, oh, not immediately. We have vo uh, verse 9. But on the seventh day, he shall shave off all his hair on his head and his beard and his eyebrows and all his hair he shaves off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water and he should be clean. He's going to get baptized. Shaving is to cut everything close and smooth. Hair actually can be a memory tool for our bodies. So when we were sick, your hair remembers that, right? When Britney Spears thought she was going to get tested for marijuana, she cut off all her hair because residues of drug use can be found in your hair. And it's interesting that God wants all the hair gone off of somebody who's been cured of leprosy. And they'd be easy to spot in town because you'd see people that are all bald walking around. So they would definitely be a witness and obvious for other people to see. Verse 10. On the eighth day, you shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and one log of oil. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean in those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle immediately. You get to come back to the temple. Right? <clears throat> Jude 24, my high priest presents me before the tabernacle in verse, in verse 11. On the eighth day, we've seen in chapter 10 that you get new beginnings on the eighth day. There's a covenant, right? And so remember in chapter 12, the eighth day is when people are circumcised. So you got this new shaved person. On the eighth day, they come in and they're going to have this covenant. Listen to the sacrifices. See if you can remember where these were repeated before. Verse 12, priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering and the log of oil, and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in the holy place. For the sin offering, the priests, so the, is the trespass offering. It is most holy. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his foot. Symbolically, the new cleansed leper gets the same initiation ceremony as the priest did. Anybody can get leprosy, anybody can be cured of leprosy, and they get treated like a priest getting consecrated. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. You become a holy priesthood, you get it's the exact same ceremony, right? The blood on the ear, you should hear God. You get the blood on the hand, you should do the work of God. You get the blood on the toe, you should walk in God's ways, right? So it happens here, and it happens with the priesthood. The honor that they give to a cleansed leper is huge. You go from being ostracized to being brought in because God's got a special calling for you if this happens. 
interesting that the disciples claim this is what happens when we get cured of sin. You become a holy priesthood, right? Verse 15, the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that's on in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear if he was to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of his foot, on the blood of the trespass offering, same as the priest. The new life, the spirit of the oil, or the, the Holy Spirit that that oil represents, are given to them along with the sacrificial blood, and they get equipped by the blood of the sacrifice and the Holy Spirit or the oil that's there. Anybody who gets cured of leprosy, anybody who gets this can have this kind of spirit and blood that empowers and equips him. Verse 18, the rest of the oil that's in the priest's hand, you shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Just pour it out. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. And then they take, then the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterwards, he shall kill the burnt offering. The priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar, so the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. Now, he's able to fellowship with God's people. He gets to partake in the barbecue he's been smelling for years. There's normal atonement. He can eat the bread that's been baking. They all get to catch up. And the nation of Israel will wait for the Messiah until they see this happen. And I just think that's the coolest thing in the world, right? Anyone who's been cured becomes like a priest in how they're treated. Luke 5, 12 through 14. And he charged him to tell no man, but go off and show himself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing. So those offerings are what we just read, according to, as Moses commanded for a testimony to them. The purpose that Luke says of doing this is the testimony. The purpose of all this stuff when you first get cleansed of leprosy is to be a testimony to other people, right? And that's the reasoning that Luke gives. Okay, I'm going to read another huge section here and just get through this chapter. This is a long, detailed version that is a repeat of what we just read. And when God repeats something, there's an important point that might be getting made there. But, verse 21, if he's poor and he can't afford it, which, by the way, is likely if you've been living in a leper colony, you're probably broke. Then he shall take one male lamb as a trespass offering to be waived, to make atonement for him, one-tenth of fine flour mixed with oil as a green offering and a log of oil, two turtle doves or two young pigeons, such as he is able to afford. One shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. <laughs> so in my head, I got this picture of a fully shaved man running around the city trying to catch pigeons, right? And everybody's seeing this guy bouncing around like a child trying to find and, and capture these pigeons. Two turtle doves or two young pigeons, because he's got to get them because he wants to do this ceremony. He wants to be back in the fellowship of God. Verse 23, he shall bring them to the priest on the eighth day for his cleansing to the door of the tabernacle meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take a lamb of the trespass offering and a log of oil and the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. I, I'm breaking this up with little comments. <laughs> I think it's really cool that you saw this ceremony for newborn babies and that whole seven days, eighth days and then suddenly you've got a cured person of leprosy that has that same kind of thing going on. It's like they're a newborn baby. And when you take chapter 12 and put it next to chapter 14, you start to see what Leviticus is all about. It's a giant metaphor for a new life in Christ. And it's really cool. Then he shall kill the lamb of the trespass offering, and the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, put it on the tip of his right ear who has been cleansed, and then thumb of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot. 
They don't say, just say, see the last section we just wrote. They're going to write it all over again. The priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his left hand, and the priest shall sprinkle it with the right finger of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord, and the priest shall put some of the oil that's in his hand on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand, on the big, foe of his, big toe of his right foot, and on the place of the blood of the trespass offering. <clears throat> the blood and oil go together. The rest of the oil that's in the priest's hand, you shall put it on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall offer one of the turtle doves or young pigeons such as he can afford, such as he is able to afford, the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering with the grain offering, so the priest shall make atonement for him who is to be cleansed before the Lord. All that mirrored language to say the poor people will be treated just like the rich people when it comes to curing of leprosy. I think. Why else would you repeat it all? They're going to get a priest-like treatment no matter what they can afford to bring to the temple. That doesn't matter. The offering doesn't matter. What matters is that they're going to get treated like priests, like a holy priesthood. This, verse 32, is the law for one who has a leprous sore who cannot afford the usual cleansing. It's hard to see in any way, shape, or form, how the Pharisees could mistake this passage and start treating poor people differently than rich people. It's really hard to see how they would do that, but they do. Over time, humans mix this up, and rich people just get treated differently than poor people. But it's hard to see it was there. Now we get to moldy houses. All right? And the Lord said, and this is interesting, because now you got this new life, new spiritual life. You've been anointed. You've been atoned for. You're ready to go. The very next thing, clean out your house and get the nasty out of your house. This is a huge image, right? And it's spoken like it's already happened. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when you've come into the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession, and I put a leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest saying, it seems to me there's some plague in this house. Okay, we got to stop for this. First of all, I love how God basically assumes they're going to come into the land of Canaan. They're sitting at the base of Mount Sinai, and God's like, it's already happened. When you get to the land of Canaan, and you start moving into other people's houses. And I like the it seems to me. I don't know why I find that so funny. Just the language of it, right? It seems to me. Like you walk into a house, and there's this giant black fungus thing that's slimy on your wall. And you go to the priest and go, it seems to me there's something wrong with my house, right? I pulled up this carpet in the basement, and there was this weird brown spot, and it didn't just suck up with a vacuum. It seems to me something's weird with this place, <laughs> right? So here's what Alyssa and Zach need to pay attention to. <laughs> then the priest, and again, this is just the priest did not have glorified jobs. I mean, you think of the ministry sometimes, and you think the ministry is about being on a stage or the honor of teaching the word of God to other people. Honestly, you think that's the great part? No, most of the ministry is cleaning the toilets, making sure you go to Costco and get toilet paper before there's a run on it, you know, those kinds of things, making some banana bread, you know. The ministry has to do with a lot of other things, right? To bring people together and to serve the Lord together is such a blessing. But these priests, this is not a blessing, right? This is just service to the God that you love, okay? Where was I? Verse 35? Yeah. It seems to me there's a plague in the house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house. I command you, empty the house. Get everything out of there. Before the priest goes into it to examine the plague, before I come into our house, you're going to clean it. Get the stuff out of there. We've been in some, Katie and I have been in some pretty messy houses. 
And a lot of the filth comes from people that are, they pack rat. They pile stuff up to the ceilings and you can't even walk in their houses, right? So before the priest is going to come in that house, you're going to clean everything out of it. I just want to see the walls. I want to see what's left. That all that is in the house may not be made unclean, and afterwards the priest shall go in and examine the house. So it's an important point here, and I think this is key, because as Christians, sometimes we like to tell other people how to live. Please notice that the person comes and tells the priest, the invitation for my house to get cleaned out comes from me. Right? It's not our job as Christians to tell other people to clean out their house. But when they come to us and say, there's something wrong in my life. Can you tell me what's wrong? Then you say, okay, well, first of all, let's clean out all the nonsense that's not God. And then let's start looking at your life. Let's start looking at your house, but let's clean out the house first, right? But we don't tell people to do that. We wait for an invitation to come into their house, to come into their life, which means building relationships with people. Spiritual trash is going to go with human trash. So you get it out. And you shall examine the plague. I got strong feelings about this going in and out of a lot of houses. We walk into houses and you can feel a spirit in a lot of houses right the moment you walk in. And there are people that put stuff in their houses that are going to corrupt over time. Right? We keep things around in our houses that shouldn't be in our houses. They will corrupt. And if they don't corrupt us, they will corrupt our kids. Over time, those things grow and they become nasty. Right? And again, you've got a people now that are thinking clean, unclean. Do I eat the shellfish? Do I, is that wound something that the priest needs to look at? Clean, unclean, clean, unclean. So you go through your house, get the unclean out of it. Verse 37, the priest and he shall examine the plague. And indeed the plague is on the walls of the house within green streaks, green or red, which appear to be deep in the wall. Then the priest shall go out of the house. Good idea to the door of the house and shut the house up for seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look, and if the plague has spread on the walls, the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which the plague is, and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. So you go into the house and that mold is growing in the drywall. You pull all the drywall out of the house, right? Bricks were expensive. He's basically saying you're going to tear that wall out and get it out of your house. You don't just bleach that stuff. You get it out. You don't just cover coat it. You don't just put it in a safe somewhere. You get it out, right? And if it means destroying your house to some degree to get it out of there, you do that. Then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague. They shall cast them in an unclean place outside the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around. And the dust that they scrape off, they shall pour out into an unclean place outside the city. Okay? This is a horrible job. And I like that the priests get to command other, they, they shall cause the house to be scraped. The priests don't have to do the scraping, right? Sometimes the homeowners get to do that themselves. And then they shall take, and they need to get a scraper if they want to do that, by the way. Shop back won't do this. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of these stones, and that they shall take other mortar and plaster the house. If you're going to remove something from your house or from your life, you have to replace it with something, Right? If you're going to stop doing something because you've been convicted that you shouldn't do this anymore, you have to replace that with something or it's just going to grow back and fill it in again. So there's a full remodel. You get rid of it. You put it. You replace the unclean with something that's clean, right? Something that's holy and amazing. Okay, and you've got feasts and fellowship and prayer, the word of God. 
these things fill our lives, and they can. You're here on a Sunday night studying the Word of God. This is a really weird thing, percentage-wise, of the people in the country of America, right? Not many people come in and study the Word of God on a regular basis, right? But you're doing that because it fills your life in some kind of way. I hope it does, especially when we're talking about plague. Now, verse 43, now if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house, after he's taken it away, after he's scraped the house, and after it's plastered, then the priest shall come and look, and indeed the plague has spread in the house. It's an act of leprosy in the house. It's unclean. So the priest is going to bring in a brother and let somebody else take a look at it. Sometimes it takes a, someone else to look at our house to understand what's wrong with it by invitation. To look through my stuff and see what I got going on. Verse 45, she'll break down the house, its stones, its timber, all the plaster of the house. She'll carry them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, who goes into the house at all while it's shut up shall be unclean until evening. And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes. And he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. In other words, there's a point at which you get rid of the house. You destroy it. It's condemned. Think about this in terms of his, human history. Con condemnation of houses really only occurs with the Hebrews for thousands of years. We condemn houses today, but it takes a lot to condemn a house, right? But they were doing it even back then. It's interesting with all the food practices that they had and all these practices that were medical practices, and now as we look at building code practices, it's no wonder why in the ancient world the Jewish people simply reproduced and populated quicker than other civilizations. So quick that other civilizations could see the difference and accuse the Jewish people of all sorts of things. But they didn't want to just come to the truth that they're doing what God told them to do, and there's a blessing in that. So it's amazing through human history how the Jews get attacked for things when they're simply doing what they're supposed to do, which would have massive benefits. Don't sleep in a moldy house. You're going to be healthier if you do that. Spiritually speaking, often we see people that sleep in moldy houses. They've got a new life in Christ, and they go home, and they sleep in houses that just have garbage and nastiness in there. And to think that won't wash off onto your clothes or soak into you while you sleep is foolish, right? Spiritually speaking, the priests get the worst work in that they get to go in and help people sort this out. It's nasty. It's disgusting work. But you have to help people sort these things out. Verse 48. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague is not spread in the house after the house was plastered, priest will pronounce the house clean because the plague is healed and he shall take to cleanse the house two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Same as we treat leprosy. Same cleansing ceremony. Verse 50. Then he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. He shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, the living bird, and dip them in the blood of the slain bird in the running water and sprinkle the house seven times. Makes you remember when Jesus said, I'm going to tear this temple down and in three days I'll rebuild it, right? And you think of the imagery of what he's doing there and the, f the connection of those elements that are kind of connected to his crucifixion and how he talked about a house that he would build that would be clean. And verse 52, and he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird of the running water and the living bird with the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet. And then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city of the open field and make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. And then at the very end of this, we get just a summary of the last two chapters, right? This is the law for any leprous sore or scale, for the leprosy of a garment and of a house, for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot, 
to teach when it's unclean and when it's clean, that's the law of leprosy. The whole point is to teach unclean from clean, just like the food stuff in chapter 12, thank you, and no, 11, and just like the birthing stuff in chapter 12. The whole point is to live a life where you're dividing clean from unclean. You walk a life with a divided hoof, and you know what's clean and you know what's unclean. In this, I think if you wanted to come away with any takeaway on this, avoid mold. Avoid it in your life. Avoid it under your skin. Avoid it in your clothing. Avoid it in your house. Clean it out spiritually and physically. Like physically first, because that's nasty. But spiritually, it's nasty to God too. Like why would you come to God corrupting yourself with nastiness in your life? Get rid of it. Replace it with something beautiful and clean. And don't think that you can just ignore it bring a priest in bring some bring a brother or sister in to help you sort these things out when it's private and kept to itself it grows when you bring a priest in it gets dealt with we're going to do some drywall work in this house we're going to get rid of these movies we're going to dump some of this stuff maybe these books it's time to throw these books out because i got books that are actually getting moldy um physically speaking spiritually speaking there's probably some up there that i should clean out and sometimes it takes another person to bring in a fresh set of eyes because like leprosy, sin dulls our senses. And there's a time goes by and you just don't notice stuff that other people are shocked by. This morning I got up because we slept in today. And I'm half awake and it's dark still because of daylight savings change. And I walk into the bathroom and I flick the light on. And the, you know what? When, when you turn a light on in a dark room and your eyes just kind of reject it. And I think sometimes when a person is born again into Christ the light goes on and sometimes it hurts a little bit. And all you want to do is squint your eyes and like keep the light on. Light helps us to see, but when there's a dramatic shift in somebody's life, when the leprosy's gone, that reaction that we have to things like light can be really harsh. Notice that when it's light and you shut the lights off, there's never a problem with it. Your eyes don't hurt when you walk into a dark room. You just can't see anything. You're blind. And it's the same way spiritually. When you move from darkness to light, there can be some shock effects that happen, but you got to let your eyes adjust, and it's okay because you see better at the end of the day. But the other way, when we fall back into sin, it just creeps up on us, right? And our eyes adjust to it, and it doesn't hurt at all, right? Our nerves get dulled, like with leprosy, and it just grows in our life, and we don't even feel it. We go to our graves with all of our body parts falling off, and spiritually speaking, People are doing that all over the place. We all know these people. And all you want to say to them is turn the light on and let that come into your life a little bit. Let Jesus heal you and be the bird that flies out of the water, not the one that dies in the earthen vessel, right? And you think that that's kind of what's going on. Anyways, I'm reading through this, just seeing this and reading through the New Testament, again, seeing all the connections between what God's trying to show them and bake into their culture so that when the Messiah comes, they see what he looks like, right? And then the disciples, this all happens, and all they're doing is Bible studies, going back through, because they didn't have a New Testament. They were busy teaching people what the Old Testament said about Jesus. Look, this all just happened. We've been cured. John the Baptist asks, is that Jesus? And the response Jesus gives is, you tell John the Baptist that the, the sick are getting cured. Right? It was one of the evidences of Messiah that people were being healed. Right? And the poor were being preached to. And we saw a huge passage where the poor are being attended to in this chapter. And that was important to Jesus. And John the Baptist, who Jesus called the greatest of all prophets, 
said he got it. That's all he needed. And he went to his death knowing Messiah had come. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we approach you, we do it with reverence and honor. As we approach your word, Lord, help us not to take one word out of place. And Lord, when we make connections, may they be connections that you and your disciples showed us in the New Testament, that we add nothing to your word and we take nothing away. Lord, we do it with such humility, and we just want you to know that we love you, and we study your word because we care about you. I pray for each person in this room. May we see the clean and the unclean with clear eyes, accustomed to the light, so that darkness doesn't blind us to those, those things that are creeping up in our lives. Lord, help us to be inviting other people into our homes, literally and spiritually, so that we can have people that help us sort out what's clean and unclean. Uh, Lord, help us to be humble enough to not only see those things, but to make the changes. Lord, if we got to rip a wall out and replace some bricks, uh, if we need to tear out some carpet in our, in our lives, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to do it with verve and gusto because the things that we wait upon, Lord, are so much joy, more joyful than anything the shadow, the shadow of this world has to offer. Lord, help us to desire the things that are holy, a good meal with believers the peace of a holy life, the joy that passes understanding. Uh, Lord, help us to have those things grow in our life and, and uh, be contagious to other people. Uh, Lord, help us to not live in fear. Uh, we do not fear what this world has to, to be anxious about, Lord, but we love you and we fear you. Um, and we just want to walk in such a way where that's true. Lord, teach us your ways. Bless each person here. Help us to walk in your path, to hear your word, to do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. If you found this teaching helpful, insightful, you can support this podcast by sharing it with a friend. Screenshot it, tag it, post it on your social media.